episode is about acceptance, sexuality, and connection, and we'll be talking with Ennis Chung, who is a life coach, uh, entrepreneur, creative, a designer, and a dominatrix. She's one of my oldest friends, I've known her for many years, and she raises the absolute bar for standards of people that she lets into her life, and also for herself. Her work ethic is out of this world, and I just want to share this woman's story with you because it's absolutely amazing. Well, on that note, like, I did check out your main like hub of a website, which really is a hub because you have so many different yeah. avenues that you're kind of exploring and also different passions just from knowing you personally. Like I've known Ennis since yeah. she was 15 years old and I am now. So that's been 14 years? Yeah, it's a long, long time. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. And I, <laughs> I feel like we also knew each other through, like, the most transformative kind of, like, time when we're trying to... I didn't know who I was. You were just learning who you were and what you liked and what you were allowed to do and whatnot. I think I really got to see you kind of learning... Learning your craft and figuring out that you, you know, loved graphic design and that you like creating and kind of building these environments or these different situations uh, for other people's amusement or pleasure. Mm-hmm. Well, I think because for the most part, I've always been about, as you say, art and super passionate, like as a business too. So like anytime I have talking to people, my, my reason was always to network, you know, like back then. When we were like, when I was 16, I was starting photography and design at the time. So it was all about collaborating or getting clients. So that was the only thing I Okay, I'm just going to stop you right there because I don't think that everyone understands. When she says that she's six, when she was 16, she was, uh, you know, designing and collaborating. Working full time in the restaurant because that's what paid me and I was getting paid bill wise. And then I was in about grade 11 ish when all the hectic shit started. And uh, I was art directing full time for a local lifestyle magazine, which one was not getting paid for, but that was also a total full time job. So that's why I also partially needed the restaurant shit to stay afloat. Also, because like I was trying to buy equipment, you know, like for my own photography and shit. So it started that way. And then my mom kicked me out, or slash, we had like a mutual disagreement, <laughs> basically, because I told her I didn't want to graduate from grade 12, from regular high school, I wanted to drop out and finish off in night school because it just really fit my double work schedule better and I could finish faster and I was like way ahead credit-wise anyways. And then the whole agent thing came in just like she disagreed, so I left. And then Sierra, you generously let me live on your couch for a couple months while I was getting my life together. Now, when Anna says that she lived on my couch for a while while she was getting her life together, 
really we work together and we saw each other every day and we have the same schedule she slept on my couch while she every day hustled and was looking for ways to make income in the arts fully as well as support herself as well as deal with her family uh, disapproval of her life path and I have always just found her incredibly inspiring and she just knows exactly what she wants to do so after our experience of you know being friends and supporting each other through some tough times uh, she went off and did her own thing and was very successful in many different areas but she's going to tell us a little bit about the difference between you know her work and lifestyle in van and whereas in toronto and new york where she ended up well i will say first of all having lived here for most of my life and then back then always having people telling you like oh you're so east coast like you should be in new york or toronto like i never understood what they're what they meant by that until I got there myself and then I realized like yeah this is so much more meaningful like, I totally could taste you know you could get a lot more shit done a lot quicker just life moves faster because especially in New York like everyone is fucking hustling everyone is on some shit or at least that's also the type of people I was wanting to meet and surround myself with um but it's almost to the point where it's like out there you really have to learn to pace yourself because thinking about mental health and things like that even a couple of years ago wasn't such a prominent topic and it, I definitely burnt out like I could I wouldn't have burnt out I don't think as fast if I had you know yeah like just learned to pace myself and still value things like sleep and a healthy diet shit like that so just like um, being uh, overstimulated mm-hmm. Or like over Sometimes, yeah, yeah. And just that's just the general lifestyle and people who are out there, right? Like you're out there to fucking try and make it. So there's a lot of very high energetic, motivated people trying to do lots of things. And naturally when you're surrounded by that, or at least I am, like you draw from that energy. So you just yeah, make sense to it too. And for someone like you just naturally driven, I, I just I felt like I fit in there. Plus there's a lot of weirdos out there who are very unafraid to express themselves, like a very strong artistic presence. So that helped me be more confident and just like embrace my own style too. And then living here on the West Coast, definitely, so I feel a change of pace. It's a little bit slower out here. Um, Vancouver is still like a, you know, major city in Canada. So it's a little bit faster here than I would say like Victoria or something, for example. Um, But it's definitely harder to get done here I feel that challenge just because again the pace is slower generally speaking there's smaller population so just you know like you have to work a little harder there's less of a market to sell to so you have to sometimes educate and build the audience more than being able to immediately um you know like sell to them products or services and things like that so I feel those but at the same time there's kind of once you I feel like you know now that I've learned to hustle so hard bringing it back to a more laid-back environment it's only up to me to you know figure out my pace and make it work together so there's that so what are you currently I guess working working on on it like everybody 
I know in Whitehorse, for example, they're either a musician and they're working on their music full time, they're a painter and they're working on their art full time, or they have an office job or a government job and they're working, you know, nine to five, eight to four. What does your kind of day look like right now? Just before we get into what you're doing and what you're working on, I kind of want to get into yeah, keep um, talking about the lifestyle and what well, it. I... I technically haven't been doing so much paid work. Uh, once I came back from New York in 2017, that was also part of like a big, what do you call those gap years? Um, so like I intentionally, my intention when I first came back was take a year off completely and living with family was part of being able to afford that, you know, not having to pay rent and shit. So I just had less bills to be responsible for. Um, I didn't work so much for that time, and that's why I also have to focus so much on even figuring out what I am doing right now in this day and age. This all came from like just intense brainstorming and evaluating my last decade, learning like myself and understanding what my skill sets are and what I need to improve on. Like it was just a whole year of reflection. Um, were you like pretty so social during this reflect reflective period, or were you? Living social. Yeah, or were you like pretty isolated in your? Uh, For the first six months to a year, I was pretty quiet. I did still post a little bit here and there, but definitely not as regularly. Because yes, part of it was at one point I just wanted total isolation, so I went offline pretty heavy. Um, so yeah, it wasn't until about a year ago that more work again and I was ready to be social I started getting back online. So what I'm working on now is my personal brand called Lee Deli, like a bodega, Lee Deli. Lee's my mom's last name, that's why I was named after her. Um, and really, yeah, this came from that gap year that I was mentioning because in that time I was able to reflect on myself super deeply. And that's everything from the shit I've learned in school to real life. Uh, like examining my overall career path and life path so that my intention was moving forward. I feel like up until then, you know, that was my adolescence. That was like 16 to 25-ish, you know, 26 years of age type thing. So for the most part, I always kind of moved with intuition. People from the outside would always tell me like, oh, you know, like, He's like, you know exactly what you're doing. You've got a good head on your shoulders. Like, you're driven. So, like, da-da-da. Um, there was other people who would say, like, my career was too broad and, like, I needed to learn to niche and specialize in one thing to really excel, that kind of thing. Personally, I kind of always felt like, at the time, that was, for me, like, it makes sense to be young and explore. So I wasn't necessarily trying to be so direct towards one thing anyways, because I've always known my general ambitions and what I like in life. And at that time, it was just me, yeah, like, exploring and, like, trying out lots of different things to really figure out what do I actually enjoy or not, where can I improve or not, you know. So basically, this is my first attempt at uh, entrepreneurship, I guess, like, really trying to take my own business and run, because up until now, I've always worked for other people, whether it was in an agency or for clients or restaurants or anything. And I feel like I'm ready to try and start my own thing. So Lee Belly at its core, the message is self-love. Whatever I can do to spread self-love, that is, that's the goal. And so whether that comes in the form of art, 
uh, more direct educational programs, design. You know, the vehicle communication is very, is much more varied, but the messaging is self-love. And I do this because personally, you know, I've also spent time volunteering for a lot of nonprofits for a while. And I was doing so many different things. And it all came down to trying to be efficient because I learned that I have so many broad interests in so many different things. And it's true, I can't excel uh, at just one if I'm, you know, like trying to do everything at once. So I have to just learn to strip back and find ways to be efficient. And so for me, being efficient was just connecting all dots possible so that whatever I execute on, I'm, you know, killing as many birds with one stone as possible. Uh, so lead belly and then now getting into the whole brand franchising concept. Essentially with my whole background in branding and marketing strategy, things like that, combining with my background in food and art and education, the way I see it is if you look at the overall landscape of branding, today is much more saturated than it was in, you know, like the 1970s or like, let's say the Mad Men days, because now the main difference is things like social media and the internet, which has allowed absolutely every person and everything to really become a brand. So what I mean by that is like, for example, you know, the egg that beat Kylie Jenner on social media for both likes or something like that on Instagram, that egg is a brand. Your cat who's Insta famous is a brand. Also, you are a brand. So it's not just big companies like Coca-Cola and Johnson and Johnson and things like that. It's literally fucking everyone. So that's looking at what it is today. Um, and then moving forward, I'm studying companies like, what was it, Capital One, I believe, which is a bank down in America. Um, in Washington, they have started to uh, like put coffee shops in their lobbies instead of the traditional offices you walk into and consult with and like bank tillers and stuff. Uh, yeah, they started to partner up, I think it was like Peace Coffee or something, and instead putting in coffee shops so that you can get like service on the go while you're sipping your coffee or just come in for a coffee and remember it's like, oh yeah, I gotta do some bank shit. Like, Watching how brands now are, you know, like basically overlapping into more than just their regular, and everyone is basically trying to become a lifestyle brand to a degree, which makes sense because to the right person, this product or brand is part of their lifestyle. So I'm watching the merger of all these kind of different verticals, business verticals, um, combining that with just like looking at what the landscape is now, and really this is my first attempt at creating a personal brand that is really going to be sustainable throughout this and what I prefer to is like the future of the brand landscape in general. Um, so with that, it's like, okay, I'm structuring this as a personal brand because it is completely based on me down to like the color, why I name the name, the different elements slash product categories that I fit into or things that I have personal interest in, you know, like, and that being part of my strategy so that it's something I'm interested in for the long term and I can commit 10 years to easily because, you know, this is just everything that I fucking love. I have chosen five things or five themes 
let's call it, and I call these my elements of connection. So those five things are books, coffee, heat, flour, as in cannabis, and food. And so anything technically relating to those one or five things combined is something that Lee Deli as a brand could be involved in. And it's very large scale. So it's like some of those things might be under the direct Lee Deli umbrella and owned by my name. Other times now we get into franchising out to other people. It's like whether I'm providing them the structure and I'm just kind of like licensing them this brand name and giving them brand support, whatever that means or partnering with lots of outsiders because now again like looking at contemporary branding landscape a lot of you see a lot of partnerships co you know special co-limited edition branded things items um, activations things like that so the future of branding is essentially very messy is what I'm getting at like there's you there's you plus your partners like it's just a very almost like no rules attached kind of yeah thing. well branding is essentially relationships right so that's going to carry forward with business right. relationships art relationships whatever right so i i see that and so books coffee feet flour and food what kind of made you narrow it down to those those are the things that kind of drive you your interests are there specific things about each topic that um kind of made you make that umbrella or that brand association map? So, again, because this is a personal brand concept and the idea of self-love is that there's two parts to it. You are self-love in scientific terms is two things. It's self-awareness and self-respect. So with that self-awareness part, that was, again, me just really trying to figure out who I am and what I love as a person. And then I whittled it down into these five inanimate objects to kind of gamify it but they are the things that help me connect with other people because when I present them the more things we connect on or the ideologies behind them I realize I have a stronger chance of like fostering an actual genuine deep relationship with um so it really came down to that so like books for example represents more than just books it represents love of learning education I personally love libraries because those are still a public community space um, so yeah, so like each object is more about the ideology behind the object than actually what the object is. That just happens to be the inanimate form that I ended up like narrowing it down to. Cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. None of those things really surprised me knowing you. Yeah. <laughs> those are what as, you picked. As they should, because if you know me well, then yeah, like it makes sense. Those things represent me. Yeah. All right, so given that you're in the West Coast now, you're focusing completely on Lee Deli, um, what motivates, like, production for you personally? So you've talked about your goal to, you know, build museums, schools, restaurants, kind of like a, a full learning enterprise almost for your clients or your Yeah, admirers. that's the franchise, right, is that mm-hmm. it will have... So a traditional franchise, think of like McDonald's, huge franchise. But McDonald's only has one vertical, and it's food. Um, and more specifically than that, they are brick and mortar, right? They're online. They don't have an online business unless you can now start to count like e-ordering yeah. and stuff. But that's still like super new. Um, and that's actually one of the other main things that drives Lee Delhi is that it's equal focus on both physical and digital business and presence. Um, 
So with that, yeah, personal goals are to build museums and things like that. Again, this is how I want to basically house it or make all of it happen is by producing a brand that can umbrella all of those things. So I'm starting with building digital because digital requires almost no capital, especially if I can, you know, design everything around it. And my goal really in life is just to like, you know, no one else is going to make this shit for you happen. You got to do it yourself. So I do what I can. And then as I continue to build, usually I start to attract more people. But at the end of the day, my number one plan is always that I feel like I'm going to do it. And then if certain people come along for a certain period of time to help, great. And whatever capacity that is. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I'm, you know, I'm doing this solo. So that's why I start early, which is now. Instead of just waiting on everything by starting with a business plan, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to start prototyping the actual visual brand and doing the parts that I can right now by myself, uh, which is why I'm starting digital. So that website, wedelly.me, is actually version 2.1. So as you can see, I've tried like multiple versions before this, and I'm already working on 2.2. But right now... So essentially, you can think of Lee Deli as amusement for adults. I want to build amusement, entertainment for adults. So I lean into sexuality, things like that. This is a 21-up brand for sure, um, even though there's not so much like actual explicit content in there. But amusement for adults, to me, then comes down to, yeah, like what... What do adults like to play with, or like what makes us happy, and what do we, you know, what is our version of a kids' amusement park with roller coasters? So that to me is museums, restaurants, you know, some kind of nightlife, sex. Sex is how adults play. That's my belief. If, if it's done healthy and right, definitely, you know, it's adult play. Um, things like that, and weed as well. So like that's why it, that's how it starts tying back into those five elements. Um, and so Lee Deli right now is a website. I've designed it kind of as like a, it's basically a building to me in digital form because there's floors, like there's a roof, I think I have like seven floors and then two underground ones as well. And each floor is either like its own mini website or just somewhere where you can consume different types of content. So like two floors of it are a gallery, one floor is a cafe. You know, one Which I loved, by the way, your cafe. I uh, love. Check it out. Yeah, of course it is. I did. made that menu myself. Yeah. I really made everything on there myself, like from the menus to the photography. Uh, some of the curated content, obviously not so much, but like, yeah, it's also just like a really extravagant portfolio that houses all my skills. Well, it's beautiful, even your work in progress, and I've checked out your other versions as well, and I like where they're going, and it's fun to navigate, it's easy to navigate, and I think it really uh, gets across what you're, what you're trying to do. Um, um, I'm really glad I have that on record, by the way, because I've been having major discussions with one of my mentors who's a tech, <laughs> when I first showed him the website, he was like freaking out at me telling him that this is not easily usable, <laughs> so... <laughs> oh, I thought it was fine, but maybe I'm crazy and, uh, I don't know, I kind of just was, understood that, that was what was going on. That was too, was like, so his main thing was, this might not necessarily be easy for the average user, which I totally agree with, because I'm not... The average user is not my audience, so why would I cater to them? I understand from a business perspective, you want to, you know, like, expand and whatnot, but, like, I'm also in a phase where I feel like the people who pick up on what I do now, especially before all the physical stuff is built, 
Are my well, you're curating your clients. You're curating your clients. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And I'm still very much building, seeing how they, you know, this is the first time I'm getting reactions to something I've published at this scale. So, like, we're just getting started. To me, this is still very much like beta testing. And, you know, from an innovation standpoint, it should be different. It should be kind of new, but still like intuitive so thank you yeah you're welcome that helps me build my case yeah <laughs> take that <laughs> I mean you might be one of my best friends one day so support <laughs> definitely actively working on that for sure <laughs> Okay, well, before we kind of get into everything, I do kind of want to introduce a tennis ball uh, so that we have a kind of an idea of where this is going. You mentioned a little bit about dominatrix services. Um, yeah. Let, let's talk, where did tennis ball come from? And what is, what is tennis ball? Or who okay, is tennis so ball? I, who is tennis ball? Good question. I have been... Introducing myself as Ennis Like Tennis since I was three and I first got my English name. My mom used to introduce me that way to everyone and I used to hate it, but I've grown to love it also because, like I said, I have a long career in branding. So, like, from a personal branding standpoint, I realized how valuable it was. So, I adopted that. And then, Tennis Ball BB, she is an alter ego that I formed again about two years ago. Um, and originally, I was, at the time, I was just starting to put out new bodies of fine art on top of everything else I was doing. I was also doing, like, personal fine art stuff, too. And that was my first time branching out outside of photography and graphic design. Like, I have been dying to do more 3D stuff, painting, sculpture, performance, uh, video, you know, all that kind of thing. So I was, again, just super experimenting trying shit out, trying all this new shit. Um, that's when I started my Feet Fucking Food series, little video series. Um, and Tennis Ball BB kind of was born with that. So during this time, I was also celibate for a whole year. That was part of the cleansing and getting to know myself better things and shutting other people out. And while I was celibate, I needed an outlet for my sexual energy. And I also wanted to make sure I was reinvesting it into myself instead of other people because I believe sex is a way of transferring energy as well. And yeah, that's how the Feet Fucking Food series started. That was just like experimenting slash kind of horny <laughs> and like eventually just channeled it, learned to channel it back into my art, which is my form of reinvesting in myself. Um, okay, so you're. Tennis Ball BB is an alter ego that does all that feet stuff. Yeah, so the feet stuff. Give us an idea of what we're talking about. It's a video series. How many seasons do you have now? Like three? Yeah, so Feet Fucking Foods season three just came out this year. Basically, one season per year. Like Netflix, you're supposed to binge watch it. And I'm essentially crushing food with my feet, which is why I call it Feet Fucking Food. I didn't know at the time when I started putting it out that this was an actual fetish. I just thought I was doing something really funny and different. And it wasn't until I started really posting on YouTube, I started attracting a foot community. And that was what got me into the whole foot fetish realm. How was that for you? Like doing something that you thought was just like fun and 
you know, might might get a few laughs to actually attracting like a a whole gamut of people. Uh, how was that for you? Like, what was the discovery process for that? Um, I mean, the goal I had also set for myself was to align. So that really means you know, whatever I seek or, like, whatever gives me enjoyment and fulfillment in is hopefully also what I'm going to make my money in or sustain me one way or another. Like, nothing is put to waste, essentially. That's the goal. Efficiency, alignment, things like that. So it was intentional. Like, I knew, I, even if I didn't know very consciously what I was getting into, I didn't know how to uh, recognize the signs when I'm on the right path, per se. And so it wasn't so much surprising more so the fact that that specific thing was a fetish, like the whole crushing of food with my feet, that was surprising. <laughs> but I was also relatively familiar with, like, dominatrix and those kind of BDSM things in general before it. So it wasn't like that part was a huge shock factor. It was just more like the actual action of crushing food with your feet that people, was arousing people that was really surprising for you. So, interesting. Yeah, that that was a specific niche. Yeah. I'm very, very open on many fronts. You know, I don't have to share as much as I do, but I do because I can. And especially in the last year now, I feel like I've now kind of also learned where my boundaries are. There are things I would like to keep private just because I live life, but like I have to live for me. (laughs) There's something, you know, about keeping certain memories to yourself. There's value in that. Also, like just from a creative standpoint, those sometimes are the memories that translate into like a painting or a story. So like it's still told that it's masked in a certain creative form, but like I need to keep certain resources you know, for myself to sustain myself energetically. Have you kind of noticed well, as you're stepping into this business endeavor, this influencer role, the your dominatrix role, has you has it changed your sexual preference or is it kind of coexisting, changing together as you explore these new avenues? Well, one of the biggest rules Again, like everything's connected, so yes, it's coexisting and it changes together. Mm-hmm. One of my biggest rules, and I tell this to anyone who wants to get into this, is never do something you're uncomfortable with. So I think that draws a really hard line or like helps me know my boundaries again of how far I want to go in the fetish thing. But it's also definitely growing and changing as I learn more because there's so much I don't, you know. Um, so it's just about learning and then like picking and choosing what I want to do and what I don't want to do. And yes, that has also influenced my regular sex life. But I'm honestly not, I'm barely sexually active. Like even though I've done my official one year celibacy, I'm now that I also have way more esteem and standards for who I let enter my body, it's like I barely have sex. <laughs> <laughs> so this this business that you're curating right now, um, is is yeah. it pleasurable for you as well, or is this, like, strictly business? Of course. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess, as in, like, do I get off when I'm with my client kind of thing? Yeah, like, have you? Have you ever had a moment where you're like, wow, I didn't know that I really enjoyed um, that, or... Especially when I started, only then, you know, I kind of had an idea 
Like, for example, I was like, okay, when I started, I was like, I'm only going to do feet. Nothing else. I don't show my body at any other time, which I still stay true to. But even with that, you know, like, I've actually become more comfortable doing more more skin, although I don't show tits or ass or anything. Um, so I've definitely started already, and it's only been two months, like I said. So there's already been growth and discovery. And that's part of it, too, is this is definitely a way that I learned more about a certain side of myself. Um, what are you looking to, or like, what, what are points of reference or mentorships that you have that are helping you like develop your Dom side? And are you developing a sub side as well? Or is it really just dominatrix or do you kind of, are you fluid between the two or is that a question I can ask? Just going back to, yeah, for sure. You can ask anything. subside as well or is this yeah, okay sure. and it's something like I'm a, I'm a split like usually it's either you're a sub switch or dom so I'm definitely a switch in the tennis ball DB world though she's a dom so she's yeah maybe that's a good way to describe her that's the dom side of me um in my personal life yes sub but not in that life ever because for me that means like now I'm I'm actually sexually involved with the other person and like I said I don't do that in my dominatrix work like professionally so you talked about yeah yeah you talked about like keep, uh, keeping your eye on a couple people and you know wanting them to guide you or help you develop your your skills and your for tennis ball pb um what yeah. what type of criteria are you looking for i'm just curious like is there like a set of parameters that you're kind of looking for like are there specific things that you want to learn or cherry pick from people or um is it more just about how you feel when you're around that person um 
there's definitely many technical aspects I want to learn from them. And like I said, I, like, I keep repeating it, but it's true. It's just because I'm really just starting this part of the work now. Um, so there's so much I could learn from them. I don't have too much of a set criteria. Probably something like they have to have been involved for minimum five years. Female, dominatrix, potentially, hopefully more in deep, but I'm open to like just more general dominatrix. And actually, I think it's important they have a spiritual side of that we align on those kind of beliefs, generally speaking, because for me especially, you know, there's also a whole niche community who believes this is part of spiritual healing or like just deeper healing in general, not just sex. Um, so those would be my criteria for who I'm looking for. But I think this is also kind of what I'm good at. It's a little hard to explain, but it's basically like I have a really good instinct for reading people um, just based off of, yeah, like even their social profile, how they present themselves, because I, I pick up on a lot of details of what's present or not present. Um, so I kind of just go with my gut at the end of the day. Like I can tell when it's someone also that I'm just open to receiving from. So, yeah. So, say I wanted to start a client relationship with, with Tennis Ball BB. What would that kind of look like? Or, like, how how is that process for you so far? I know that you're kind of, it's changing every day, but, like, you've been doing it for a little while, so I'm sure that you have a few clients and you're getting to know them. Like, mm-hmm. what, how does that look like? So that would have meant that you probably found me online. Not so much a word of mouth thing, this kind of business ever. <laughs> um, unless they're in like a really open form group, but that's rare. Especially with men. And I would say they don't talk about this shit with other men too much. But so you would have found me online. And I, if you've expressed actual interest, because there's a whole division between people who just like your content they're totally happy with you know watching you on Facebook or Instagram and Twitter and kind of shit but if they actually want to step and serve that means they want to pay and foster a deeper relationship so first step would be you need to sign up for my OnlyFans page everyone has to do this when they start uh, because it's also how I verify age um, which is a fucking very important matter and then through OnlyFans, that's when we start direct messaging. Like, I really talk to everybody one-on-one. And then we just get to know each other, and the relationship grows from there. Um, to get to actual physical sessioning with me, like being in person, will take minimum, you know, depending on how deep you are of a person. Because some people I engage with almost daily. Some people it's more like weekly or just more sparse. So, again, you, we determine that rate together. Um, but it takes like six months a year, you know, to gain my trust to actually be around you or and even see if I'm interested in that kind of thing with you. And then from there, we would start moving up. But also like that is a huge uh, pay jump or just like price jump from getting clips online to actually being in person. So that's much part of the only fans thing for me, too, is like I'm. I'm filtering out and understanding where everyone is. How financial perspective? How are you feeling, like safety wise? Like I know. What wise? Safety wise, like. Safety wise. Is that something that is a a bit scary for you, or do you feel like you have fostered? By the time you get to the point where you can be 
you know, in person with one of your clients that you would have fostered a relationship and can trust them? Or are there, I just know that there's probably a lot of people who are going to listen to this who have never even thought of DOM services before ever and are just like probably reeling in their mind like, oh my God, this is going to be really scary. Maybe she'll get assaulted. Uh, Maybe she'll get catfished. Like, but these people are spending their good earned money for a service that you provide and fostering a relationship with you. Why? I guess maybe we could get into the psychology behind it. What are your views on it? And what kind of gives you, you know, hope that these your clients are actually, you're going to be able to continue a relationship with them and they're not just going to end up being crazy people who are going to like hurt you if you meet, right? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a risk factor you have to consider. And even as I start talking to, this is a big portion of it too, is when I talk to other doms and people in the community, I always ask them, that's one of the main questions, what are their safety precautions, all that kind of stuff. Because again, this is also not government regulated work. So we have, we don't have like benefits, health benefits, you know, any of that kind of shit, definitely security in any sense. Um, so yeah, that's also definitely part of like the six months to a year. And that's like a minimum, right? I could pick my sweet fucking time if I want to get to know you over like two, three years. Who knows? Depends. But that is definitely a part of it is understanding that person. And yes, like gaining mutual trust for each other because there's crazy selves and there's crazy doms type shit. Um, one dom that I talked to recently, you know, she said when you're at the point where you're about to definitely me, she gets their ID. She always has somebody else present. Um, and those costs are also built into the business. So, like, we're renting. We're not doing it in our own homes. It's been, like, some kind of outside space. Yes, there's somebody else there with you. Um, and you have to also obviously let the sub know that there's somebody there and that's your personal way of doing it. If they don't agree to it, they don't agree to it. That's fine. Um, but those are definitely things you have to consider for sure. And even with that, you know, there's always going to be a risk factor. And that's part of why I would like to be some kind of this part of like just involved in, I don't know, it's not regulating this, but hopefully putting more of these kind of safety precautions into play. That kind of where I would like to help innovate and expand the business like more long-term because um, I am pro-sex worker, obviously. Um, but yeah, those are risk factors you have to think about for sure, like be conscious of. I don't have all the answers, but that's also part of why sessioning is so, especially with me, so expensive. A lot of that cost goes towards my safety. Well, it's like, uh, that's another reason why I wanted to bring you on here, because I I also am pro-sex worker. I think it's the oldest, you know, profession ever. And I don't understand why we can't, you know, protect our sex workers. For those of you listening and getting a little uncomfortable about the topic of decriminalizing sex work, I just have to ask you why. Why would you not want someone in the service industry providing service to the public to be safe and to have a path of recourse in case any crimes were committed against them? Why does it matter that it's sexual favors that they're being paid for? Is it just sex for money that makes you feel uncomfortable? Or 
do you truly believe that everyone in the service industry shouldn't have those rights as workers? In other places, and even here too, like that is part of the work is to help destigmatize all the negativity around sex. Because again, I think we're all connected. So like part of being super healthy in your sex life and knowing aspects about yourself in that realm, like will carry over to just you knowing yourself equal overall, which only benefits you and everyone around you. Okay. So I did see on your website that you have like a tiered system uh, for Lee Deli. Um, does this kind of... Yes, I'm actually revising that right now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So is this is this something that would carry through to your tennis ball BB as well? Yeah. See, that's the revision I'm working on right now. I'm trying to figure it out in my own head. Um, but yeah, so essentially tennis ball BB is going to be at the highest tier. Um, and it's more so almost like invite only. The tier system for now, I think, is going to exist more of like different levels that you can donate towards Lee Deli just to help build all of this. And as they actually become a real business, and you know, like once I'm a little more further down the line, I can start providing more benefits to like actual point programs or whatever that might be. Um, but at the moment, it's just like a donation tier with certain like digital benefits that you get. But it's very like loose because I only I can only offer so much. <laughs> I'm giving everything away for free right now just to garner an audience. So like, yeah, haven't really beefed up that part too much. So eventually, it'll be like a subscription to everything and anything that you create with uh, tennis ball BBB. Anything under the Lee Belly franchise. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Sorry, I just wanted to... is just like a component of that. Yeah. I just wanted to clear that up in case anybody had any questions and wanted to go check out your page, but maybe didn't want to necessarily, you know, deal with the Dom service or vice oh, versa, they right? Feel... I've also designed it so that, like, I, I'm here, this is actually really, this is a point of my business that I want to really convey is that one thing I have noticed in my research is that for the people who are just starting in this world or curious about it, yes, usually it's really intimidating because if you just go online and Google some shit and you go to the average kink site, like, you see a fucking lot. <laughs> like, it's very in your face and it can be super intimidating. So, like, I'm working towards framing it in a much more comforting, self-loving, just friendly, almost, like, funny, put some humor in it type way to make it just more friendly for, like, the new the new user. So you won't, it's not like once you go on Lee Deli, you're going to see a bunch of penises or anything like that. There's actually zero uh, direct phallic or yonic content. Um, that's a huge part of it. So you'll never actually see anything, but we definitely talk about it. There's outside links to more direct content, but not within Lee Deli. Like I said, I'm really good at gauging people, and I think this skill has come in really handy for this line of work, because you'll also notice that part of it is you have to be very emotionally intelligent. You know, you got to be able to read people, read their limits, see what's getting them off without them necessarily telling you, like, that's your fucking job, right? So um, when I meet new people, whether it's them 
subscribing directly to my OnlyFans or they're just leaving comments on my social media. Like I've become really good at kind of generally pinpointing who they are as a person and also like how much financial potential they hold for me. <laughs> and the biggest, I'd say, like differentiator between someone who's actually willing to pay for services versus just uh, a I don't know, like a viewer or whatever, is that the pay people are polite. And the non-pay people are the ones who are all like, oh, this is making my dick hard or fucking just saying some shit about them. <laughs> so you're saying you have like a strict no fuck boy policy? <laughs> well, that's not really, that's part of it, right? Because again, like if you think about it, the media all is all about respect long-term building, understanding the other person type thing. Fuckboys don't do that. So, like, there's very, there's less fuckboys in this world, which is great. <laughs> Even if you're not fucking about it, it's just being talked to with respect that you deserve. And I think... Yeah, I think that that's something that is huge for the general audience when talking about kink and BDSM and DOM and subservice. A lot of people just have this very Pornhub idea of what <laughs> BDSM and any any deviant from the societal norm of monogamous relationship really is. And I really appreciate that you have emphasized quite a few times that it's about love and respect and self-care and self-love that is really really valuable to people who don't know anything about it or someone who might be listening and might be judging maybe someone that they know based on preferences that have been told to them um stop fucking doing that you have no right to do that yeah. yeah i mean and that's part of the bigger goal too is just to have these conversations to help educate people outside the world because i understand from their perspective too it's like yeah you only have access to Pornhub, and that's where you're seeing just you know the clips people are putting online to attract audiences so of course it's gonna be crazy there's no talk about the actual rules behind it unless you get into it and then again once you want to get into it if you're new and you go on these websites, it's super overwhelming. So it's like, you know, you'll probably either get turned off or you don't get very far into the actual process of it. So a lot of people I know, it's not everyone. No, I won't say everyone, but like, yeah, a good chunk of people I know who are in this world more professionally or just more seriously, they've usually said that someone else brought them into this world. And that was through in-person conversations. It wasn't like they just said, okay, I'm going to do this. And then they went online and like Googled some shit. Bam. That it was like, usually they had, yeah, some kind of guiding or just other more experienced figure who actually taught them that. And I feel like there isn't really a space online that's mass as big as Pornhub per se, that does that kind of educational, more introductory point. Um, so that's part of what my mission is as well. How is your your family kind of feeling about <laughs> all of this? <laughs> oh, good question. Um, well, you know, my mom is very conservative, and she—I don't know how much she knows or doesn't know because they definitely put all this stuff online, so she has access to it one way or another. I'd say they, for the most part, they kind of they kind of know, but they definitely, I don't think, know about, like, OnlyFans. I don't know. Maybe now they've heard, overheard my conversations and shit. Who actually knows? 
but we don't really talk about it, but it's also not like they have, uh, like, shamed me for it or anything like that. But I will say, like, when I put out season, I think it was the Christmas episode of season two of Seek Fucking Food, I got a whole, whole string of text messages from my mom the day after calling me a fucking whore and just, like, all this shit. And I wasn't even doing anything. She got mad because there was one part where there was, like, a crotch shot. I was wearing shorts. Not like you could see anything, okay? It was like, and it was definitely seat focused, but just with the angle of the camera, whatever. Well, at one point, it just like pointed directly to my crotch, and so like that was already enough for her to like go off and <laughs> be uncomfortable with it. So it wasn't positive, but now it's been over a year. That was two Christmases ago that that happened, and she definitely started to learn to just kind of if not accept me then back off and know where she's uncomfortable and just like kind of leave it at that so because our family is in an overall better state like if I started this 10 years ago and for a whole other slew of reasons you know it'd be the same story I'd be kicked out but that's kind of the beauty of it is like I came back here after we kicked out when I was 16 and I'm kind of on the same cycle trying all these new endeavors that she's uncomfortable with and I think we've also just both grown from that whole experience, so it's really tied into how supportive, even if it's from a distance, but just not like, yeah, like kicking me out or shaming me from it. So like, there's that. So just to give a little bit of insight, Ennis's mom, well, your whole family are Korean, and uh, when I first met you... It's my mom. She's my yeah. only family. Yeah. Literally my only blood. I have no siblings or anything else. It's just me and my mom. She is the strictest woman I think I've ever met, to be very honest. Uh, <laughs> like, Ennis would get a B on something, or like an A minus, and it would be the end of the fucking world. So, to have... My mom is like a medium on an A scale. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny to me. <laughs> She's a medium low now, I would say, which is very impressive. Like, the fact that I can even go on the property is like... Bro, you have no idea how much of a, <laughs> a progress that is. Now, like a couple of years ago, I guess you went you went back to Korea and you, I, like I saw a bunch of photos that you were yeah. doing and did you have any thoughts about kind of what you were doing here or like any inspirations while you were while you were in Korea? Yeah, I mean, again, like, like, I sound like a broken record, but everything's connected. So that trip was, I think, about two years ago. Uh, it was a, it was my mom's fiftieth birthday trip. So it was me, her, her best friend, and her husband joined us. Uh, I think on the second week or something like that. So it was a two-week trip. We did Korea and Japan, and that trip, I wouldn't say. Well, I don't know, because, like, it was my first time exploring actual Seoul. Like, every time I would go back, I was usually just going to visit family, and I was very much only in, like, Gangnam, where just, like, one specific area of the city. I never got to go outside of it. And so this was the first time we went, and, like, you know, we actually saw Kampo, which is the other side of the river, and all these other things. And that's where, like, our blue house is, which is, like, the White House, but it's blue. Uh, that's where like a ton of contemporary museums are. I saw like all this modern architecture. And so overall that trip was just so inspiring for me because I had never really seen or focused on Korean art and architecture before then. And it was super eye-opening too. Uh, I think that's what I was so inspired by. It was 
when I was in the museums, especially, and I was reading, like, all these descriptions, because, you know, they highlighted a lot of Korean artists, a lot of outsiders, like, international, but, you know, lots of Korean contemporary art. And I just identified so strongly with the things that they were saying, especially when they're talking about methodology and process, that really just dawned on me how much influence I had from my heritage. Even though I grew up in Canada since I was three years old, I just thought it was really fascinating to see how just all this stuff has, in one way or another, like subconsciously helped shape me and affect me. And like, I can't remember the details, but like, I remember reading one thing about the very subtle nuances between Korean modern art movement and like North American or Western modern art movement. And I realized when I read it, I was like, oh my God, I'm completely in line with the Korean one. So it was, I, at that point, I realized, like, yeah, I really want to come back and actually focus one day. Um, maybe I'm just learning more about this because I can, I, I also think, I, always, I think a lot about how. You know, everything I've done affects me, and again, how everything connects, and I realize our history and our, like, heritage is so important. So, yeah. And actually, on that note, really interesting topic, I think about this, like, literally all day, every day sometimes, <laughs> is since I'm doing a lot of writing right now, and writing is very new for me, I, as I examine my own writing process, I learned that my thought process and how I construct my sentences in English is actually a very Korean um, structure. So what I mean by that is like how, for example, in Korean, uh, how would I say this? I'm trying to think of a best example. So basically the Korean sentence structure is, is backwards. It's opposite of the English. So in Korean, if I directly translate and I say, I want a peach, I want one of those, give me one. But in English, you would say, I want one peach. So in Korean, you're saying the object first and then the details, the quantity, and that you want that. Versus in English, it's like you want the quantity of this object. And I, I feel like that doesn't make sense. Because just from like a pure efficiency standpoint, to narrow it down, it's like, okay, first I got to know what you want, then I want to know how many of that thing you want. Versus the other way in English, where it's like, first you tell me how many of what you want. I'm like, well, what do you want? Oh, this. It's like an extra step. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can, I can see that. But like, I've never thought about this before, but when I was studying my writing and revising like paragraphs and paragraphs on books on books, I realized I was eventually writing everything out and was reconstructing every sentence backwards. And I realized that was what it was because I actually still think in a Korean structure, but it just applies to English language. I thought that was really fascinating. That is really fascinating. I also think it's quite fascinating just because I know you personally and like seeing your your work kind of evolved since we first met and also I guess your sense of cultural identity as well when I first met you I I wasn't I wasn't sure about like your background or your family or what their influence they kind of had on you or 
until, you know, I met your mom, was in your house and realized, like, your, your mother's a very traditional woman and you came from a pretty yeah. traditional Korean background and all societal norms, you know, a Canadian immigrant family story, right? Like, yeah. now you're doing something com- which, I mean... It's probably pretty taboo for any, like, if if you go see family in Korea, this is probably not something that you're going to advertise, am I right? No, if my grandma or grandfather knew if they're still alive, they would be like, they're probably rolling in their grave. Even just, like, they don't, they, we couldn't even tell them I spoke. We, like, can't even do any of that stuff. Like, the fact that I have tattoos is already kind of crazy. Maybe a little less crazy now, it's just starting to change, but... They're so conservative, so, so conservative. And I, I realized how that influenced me, and I kind of formed barriers subconsciously because there was a part of me that was also, like, shaming this, and it came from that very this Korean upbringing that I've had. So do you think that this, I guess, newly formed balance between, you know, your heritage, your culture, getting to know your culture and how that, you know, is ingrained in you, do you think that that... It kind of like overflows to your self-love movement with Lee Deli. Um, I personally see the connection just from an outside perspective, but I'm just wondering, does that resonate yeah. with you? Oh, 100%. Because again, Lee Deli is about self-love and self-love, half of it is just self-awareness. And so that was really me also just becoming conscious of the fact that, hey, maybe I should study my heritage because it probably has something to do with me one way or another. It is my whole fucking background, after all. Um, so you when you say, like, you weren't so sure of my heritage back then and kind of my background, it's because I also wasn't paying attention to it back then. I was, at the time, again, very much just going intuitively. Now is the first time I feel like I'm moving more consciously. Um, so there's that component. And then, yes, for sure, there's tons of Korean influence. And I'm even using Wheat Deli as a motivation to just dig deeper myself. Uh, and that's why you see like a lot of Korean characters, even just being introduced in the writing very subtly or like English or in the language, uh, or just, you know, like my personal logo has part of like the Korean flag design in it and just kind of bringing that part back to me. I will say from a strategic standpoint too, just given the current times that we're in, uh, minority women have a little bit more of an advantage, you know, than to be a white guy. So that that is a very small factor in why I play that part, but that is part of it. And then even just trying to tap into a larger demographic than America and really trying to be international, I figured it makes sense that maybe I reach out to the Asian demographic first because obviously I can I know them, I am them, so like I can connect with them better. So there's there's that kind of thinking in there too. Now on that note, have you kind of received any feedback or harassment just based on that as well? Like, since you've developed your... Um, uh, not yet. I feel like, you know, like, you, you haven't made it till you get your haters kind of thing. Or, like, I don't know, there's some kind of phrase like that out there. I feel like I'm still quite small and I'm just building. So I just don't even have a large enough audience for you to, you know, you have numbers of haters and non-haters. So far, it's been, for the most part, the ones who are vocal have been positive. I know there's a chunk of people who know me from before I was doing all this dominatrix work when I was focused on my thesis that they were just like shell shocked 
when they saw even like the Pete Fucking Food series. Those people have been pretty quiet, but I respect that they're being quiet rather than like just hating on it. Because I think they also just, they know I'm an artist, so they know I'm just kind of doing my Miley Cyrus thing right now. <laughs> so I appreciate that. But above all, like I wish they would ask me questions rather than just like, you know, quietly observing. But maybe that just says that they're not ready to talk about it. So it's really on, on their own time. It's interesting that you put it as like your Miley Cyrus thing right now. Um, I yeah. I wouldn't. That never actually crossed my mind. Um, maybe it's just because I I do know you on a, a bit different level than some people do. Uh, because yeah. honestly, like this did not surprise me in one bit. <laughs> <laughs> And I was actually. Well, it surprises me. I'll tell you that. I wasn't like if you told me when I was sixteen that this is what I'd be doing, I'd laugh in your face and be like, "You're fucking crazy." So but it was shocking for me. <laughs> well, I did. I didn't find it shocking at all. I was actually like, "Wow, she's like playing into her strengths," and uh, you know, like <laughs> this taking. That, okay, but see that right there is super interesting because you see it as me playing it into my strengths. I, for a long time, thought this was somehow play into my weaknesses and again that was also a very conscious thought and intention that I set during my gap year was I was like I don't know I was I've always been I've always gotten a lot of male attention let's say and not that it's a bad thing but especially when I was younger I would get very frustrated because a lot of times it would be like dudes who were just interested in fucking me or whatever. And so they would stick around for a while because that's them kind of like, you know, get in my pants. And even to the point of like, they would be maybe collaborating with me on projects or whatever, like actually working with me. And then all of a sudden one day they just drop out. And that was really because they finally figured out at that moment that, oh, this is never going to happen. And I felt like I was always just the one that was being hurt because now we have this unfinished project or... I thought we were friends and all of a sudden you're ghosting me like what the fuck there was a lot of that um and I was so I was just really fighting with I guess kind of figure out even just coming to terms with the fact that some boys are picked and thinking about well how do I then spin this how do I take advantage of the fact that I am a very attractive person people are attracted to my energy for my own gain instead of constantly like losing out from it so setting boundaries. So this is a way of you setting emotional boundaries as well with people. Um, yeah. I can relate to that. I definitely, I understand that feeling of, you know, people being attracted to you, whether it's just, you know, you have good energy or you're like a safe place for them or they feel inspired when they're around you and want to create with you. And but when it comes down to it, they're essentially using you and feeding off of you. And then when you don't out, like give them the output that they want. They take off. I 100% get that and I think a lot of women and men feel the same way and maybe just aren't vocal about it and this is something that's so interesting about sex work is that you can take yeah. that and flip it like you're taking because something in this world everyone is open yes. well like the true media world that's it like you have to clearly state your intentions you can't bullshit around if you want what you want so there's like a liberty when you're in this 
quote black room or black cat room or whatever where it's like yeah you can just say whatever the fuck you want and that's really how it should be people should be totally fucking open to a degree transparent like that but that's not how they operate for some reason on that scale of their life and yet in their sexual they do so it's like i'm trying to bring that quality over into like the quote-unquote non-sex realm i appreciate that <laughs> that's hard to do yeah um yeah well thank you so much for well <laughs> delving so deep into what you're doing and your process and just sharing that with me it's also just really fucking nice to hear your voice and talk to you i <laughs> i miss yeah. i miss seeing you and i miss you know having discussions like this with you um yeah, you're one of those people that I always, I don't know, I feel like our conversations are very meaningful and they give me energy. It's energizing. And there's not too many people in this world that do that. And that was the whole purpose of this podcast is just to bring people on that I find interesting, that I have a connection with energetically and, you know, want to kind of explore and give that back to people who might be feeling really shitty right now or lost or, you know, all the things that we used to feel. So thank you so much for coming today and sharing all this insight and personal information as well as explaining kind of your process and your your website and your new project. It's really exciting and I know that a lot of people who are going to listen to this will be intrigued in some way or another and hopefully maybe you'll gain a client or two from them or at least some, you know maybe some feedback on how it makes them feel or has changed their perspectives. That is the hope. So thank you very much. Okay. And uh, if anyone has any questions for Tennis Ball BB, uh, Anis Chung, or Lee Deli, <laughs> they can uh, just go to the show notes and we'll have everything and how to get in contact. And also if you want answers, we'll do a follow-up episode if we have quite a few questions and we can do a Q&A um, but I'm just going to leave it to the yeah. floor for you if you want to just let us know where we can see all your work uh, and get in contact with you yeah so hey everyone thank you for listening this is Ennis Like Tennis aka Tennis Ball BB if you want to find me the absolute best way is to go to the new Lee Deli website that's Lee Deli L-E-E-D-E-L-I dot E M E and get a lot of this I probably speak a slightly one way or the other